Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and MD. Welcome back to Murder in the Black. It is your host, Steph. And I'm MD. And we don't have any announcements because we have a very interesting case that we have to get right into. We need all of the time. And just to let you know ahead of time, this is going to be a twofer. Yeah. Two for one. I mean, not all in this one episode, but just come back next week. We got you. Right. So grab your coffee if it's the morning or your wine if it's the evening. But either way, let's get into it. All right. So... We are going to encourage you, if you are in the safety of, like, your home or work and you got a moment, you're on your coffee break, lunch break, break break, it don't matter. We want you to just close your eyes. You can't be driving, though. I'm sorry. Right. Like, you're driving. Just just pretend like you closed your eyes. Look up, Marvin, okay? <laughs> so, I want you to close your eyes and just imagine for a second, 2001. And it's early 2001. I know your mom probably went to 9-11, but it is actually the summertime in Chicago, July 4th. And July 4th is always such a great celebration for pretty much all of the Americans. I know we're doing something new with Juneteenth, but you know, we in 2001 right now. Pipe down. If you wasn't in Texas, you wasn't celebrating that. So (laughs) they have... Fireworks going, festivities popping, barbecue, everybody's playing spades. Kids have popsicles on a playground, and they are in Washington Park. And there you're going to find four little girls playing. Their name names are Tianda. She's 10 years old. There's Diamond, who's three years old. You also have Victoria and Rita there. Victoria is right on the cusp of her birthday. She is about nine years old. And then you have Rita, who is the oldest, and she's 12. And they're all playing, having a good time, kicking the ball. And baby girl Diamond keeps kicking the ball in the water. And everybody keeps running after her to get it. And they are just having the best time of their lives. Little did they know that this would mark the beginning of an ongoing search and deep longing for answers that continues to haunt investigators, a community in Chicago, and the friends and family for decades to come. And this is when their mother, Tracy Bradley, decides to allow Victoria and Rita for whatever reasons we don't really know, to go to their grandmother's house and spend the night. And she decides to take Tianda and three-year-old Diamond to go back to their own home to spend the night because they are preparing to go on a camping trip. I've already mentioned that 
Victoria has a birthday coming up. It's actually on July 7th. But for whatever reasons, financial reasons, or just wanting to simplify the trip, Tracy decides that she is going to take Diamond and Tianda on this camping trip on July 6th after she gets home from work. And Victoria and Rita would stay back with their grandmother and they would be taken on a trip the next weekend. MD, tell us what happens in between July 4th and July 6th. And so before I jump into the details of what happens, let me tell you a little bit about Tracy. Tracy is the mom of these beautiful four girls. Now, Tracy, outside of being a single mother, Tracy also is a school lunch clerk. So she, you know, makes lunch for the the students at school and specifically in the summer that is she would make lunches for the kids that were in summer school. Tracy also was in a relationship with a guy named George Washington. And they had been together since around 1995, 96 and Tracy was in love with him. I mean, everybody that talked about their relationship said that she was head over heels for him. So much and so that like she kind of took up and dealt with some things that probably if you're not a woman in love with someone, you wouldn't deal with. Because on the flip side of that, George was not so crazy, deeply, madly in love with her. In fact, George was at one point in their relationship married to somebody else. And what what was that lady's name? That lady's name was Diamond. Oh, wait. The same name as Tracy's youngest daughter, who also belongs to George. So that was George's baby, and he was still married to to the first Diamond. And she named a baby Diamond. She did, <laughs> and she admits that she did it in one of those petty, messy ways. Like that I is a new level, y'all. <laughs> I know you're married to another woman, but I'm pregnant with your baby, and I'm going to name her Diamond, Diamond. after mm. your wife, who is not pregnant with wow. you. And so that was, and so was the nature of their relationship, right? So as you mentioned, Steph, on July 4th, she allows Rita and Victoria to go stay with her mother. And on July 5th, she, so so July 5th, she spends the day with George and Diamond and Tianda. Are they getting, like, you know, camping they're, things? Yeah, according and... to her, they're prepping for this camping trip that George actually initiated. They go on, according to Tracy. George is the one that said, hey, let's take the girls on a camping trip. And, oh, by the way, let's split it. Let's kind of, you know, just let's first take Diamond and and Tianda, and then we'll take Rita and Victoria. Now, this was sort of strange to Victoria and Rita because George was not really active in their lives, meaning the girls. So although he had this relationship with Tracy, that's about the extent of the relationship. He was not close with the girls at all they they mentioned how they were never really around him they never really spoke to him often it's just he was in this relationship with tracy but it didn't seem like he really wanted to have a relationship with her girls and was that not 
a was that okay with Tracy? Like, was she okay? Because you mentioned that you know Diamond was actually his child. So, and so I don't think he was. He wasn't taking care of Diamond. Wasn't admitting that Diamond was his. Oh wow. Okay. And so George was very because I said you know George wasn't madly deeply crazy in love with Tracy the way that she was with him. So was she okay with it? Maybe she wasn't, but she was willing to deal with it. She oh. was willing to accept how he was in his acceptance of her children and his one child because she wanted to be with him. And it's one of those things that she loved him way more, way more and specifically was willing to put up with things with that expectation or hope that maybe he'll change. Maybe he'll recognize okay. how good things are. And this is not what she said, guys. It's just what. Based on, you know, just watching several documentaries, reading several different things on this. What I'm imagining Tracy must have been thinking. Sure. And I, I feel it's quite common, to be honest, that as women, when we're the ones that are more into the guy or into the other person, then we're willing. Because it's not just one sided in terms of girls. I think the same can be true for, for men. When the one person is more into the other person, that person sometimes is willing to put up with some things that they ordinarily wouldn't put up with just because they're hoping that maybe you'll get, you'll see, maybe you'll change, maybe you'll come around. And so that's what it appears to be here okay. with this situation. Okay. And so that on the 5th, the girls, Diamond and Tiana, they stay with their mom. They're, they're going and gathering things in preparation for the next day. Uh, Tracy actually invites some of her her friends over, some of the neighbors, to watch a game that evening at the, at her apartment, uh, the Mets game to be exact. And after the Mets game, that those friends they leave, and she says that the girls go to sleep, and she fell asleep on the couch. She states that George came over as well. George Washington he comes over, and you know spends the night over there. And then early on the 6th, so now we're on July the 6th, early on July 6th, she has to be at work by 7 o'clock because she has to open the cafeteria up and get ready for the, the prep and the, the you know, all, all the, the things, things that have to happen. Mm-hmm. And so at about 6 in the morning, she leaves to, George takes her to to school. Now, she says that she she admits she left Diamond and Tianda tw- uh, 10 and 3, at the house by by themselves. But she said she told the only two people that knew that they were going to be there by themselves was George and herself. And she told Tianda, do not open the door under no circumstances. I feel like we just had this conversation and we on the did. last episode. We did. Do not open the door under no circumstances. I will be back, but I got to go to work. But I will be back. And when I come back, we're going to go on our camping trip. Right. Can and we just can we just yes, call, pause. you Go pause ahead. for the calls? Okay, and we did just talk about this, right? Um but that was back in 1971. It was. It, this is this is 2001 for reference. Okay. So listen, I mean, we were left at home like at 14, 15 years old, which I think is reasonable. I think I, and honestly, I feel like 12 is reasonable. Even 12. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. Even 12. But for 10-year-old Tianda and 3-year-old Diamond, 
that 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 don't sound right. And let me and I'm gonna just pause even. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go a step further for you, Steph, just to give some grace because I do believe that there are some 10-year-olds that are old enough to probably stay home by themselves. And in particularly in this day and age where you may be able to say like my niece Reagan is 10. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Reagan is responsible enough to stay home by herself in 2023 with cameras and alarm <laughs> systems, like, in place. Because not only am I going to be alerted when you open a door, but I can at any point, I can tell you stay in this common area where this camera is so that I can video in and see you and talk to you if need be. You know, I think, and, and for, not for an extended period of time, but maybe for, like, an hour two hours at most. I think a 10-year-old could do that. But when you add a 10-year-old with a 3-year-old, I think now you have escalated escalated the situation because we all know 3-year-old, the younger you are, the less like you are you the more likely you're going to get into multiple things. All of the things that my 2-year-old gets into on a daily basis when we are home. Good. Just yesterday, she opened up my hair cabinet, took the hair and uh, the hair conditioner and squeeze it all over the floor we were in the house yeah and we missed it so yeah. that's a 10 and a three-year-old i think just becomes with no security no alarm call, 2001 no cameras yeah i just don't know i, I mean and you, i mean like like you said i mean it just to, to know that that she had a three-year-old, three-year-old at home, it just, it escalates it. And they even say about Tiana that she was very responsible and, she was. you know, just, she had a lot of mothering and nurturing characteristics, but regardless. She was the second oldest child. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so she was probably used to, cause I can say like my daughter, you know, is also the second oldest and she's used to the, you know, t- taking care, helping mommy, doing mm-hmm. extra things that maybe, you know, the youngest is not used to doing. But, and Tianda, it wasn't strange for Tracy to leave her girls at home. But what was strange was to leave her girls at home without the oldest. Which without was all Rita, yeah. So, like, I think it would have also looked different if Rita was home and Victoria, even though Victoria was, like, eight, about to mm-hmm. turn nine at the time. Mm-hmm. I still think that, like, I could almost swallow that pill a whole lot more than leaving Tianda and the three-year-old at home. Right, right. So I just wanted to just touch on that. So yeah, so she leaves him at home, but she does tell him like explicitly, like do not leave, do not answer the door, do not go nowhere. Um, and so she leaves. George takes her to work, and while she's at work, she calls because she wants to make sure her girls are, you know, okay. Like I want to make sure that you're doing what I told you to do, that you're still where I told you to be. And she calls several times. Now. I, and I want to say it was a series of maybe four or five calls that she she made. But all of these calls went unanswered. And although it was concerning for Tracy, she just kind of chalked it up to they may have just went back to sleep because it was super early. Her shift was from like 7 to 11 a.m. So it wasn't a long shift. It wasn't like she was going to be gone a significant amount of time. And so for her, she just kind of thought, okay, it's no big deal. They probably went back to sleep. I did wake them up super early when I left. They're probably asleep. But she did, she was concerned enough that she called her mother and asked her mother to call. Like, hey, I can't keep calling, so can you call? Her mother calls and her calls also go unanswered. And so at 11 a.m., 
Her shift is over. George picks her up from work and they head straight to the apartment complex. Now, I, now, the story that I'm about to give you at this point, I want you to know we've pieced together from various different sources, which we will name in our show notes. We, Steph and I watched multiple documentaries. We read multiple articles on online and th- various different documentaries kind of tell you a different story than, than others. And so they fill in pieces that maybe other, others leave out. And so this is, I just want you to know, if you go and watch Disappeared on the ID channel, this is not necessarily in there, but it's in some other sources that we found. And that is that when she gets to the apartment complex, Tracy states that usually when George would bring her home, even if they were going to continue to go somewhere afterwards, George would stay in the car. He never would come up upstairs, which this corroborates what Rita and and Victoria say about their relationship with George. They really didn't have one. That's because he really didn't come around them. So, but in this instance, George actually does come upstairs and she notes it, that it was odd, but she felt like, okay, he knows that I couldn't get in contact with him. So maybe he's just trying to make sure that everything's okay. He walks upstairs with her. They walk in the house and they call out for the girls and the girls are not there. She's very concerned at this point, but she one of the docu- one of the documentaries that we 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 saw states that at that point they begin searching for her. Now another source that I I read states that they actually left after they realized the girls are not in the house, thinking that maybe the girls just went to the park or like they're just down the street. They run to the grocery store because as Steph mentioned, Victoria's birthday is on is the is the following day and so they wanted to pick up a cake for Victoria so they go pick up this cake and they come back when they come back they're they're still like searching for the girls and the girls aren't there and that's when Tracy finds a note on the back of the couch and this note says is from Tianda she says dear mom I went to, we went to the store and, and we're going to the store and then to the park. At the school. At the school. That's what she meant. We're going to the, we're going to the school park, basically. And so at this point, Tracy's like, okay, wait, why would they go to the store? And then what store? And we were just at the store and like, we didn't see them. And so they begin the search. So she calls her family to notify her family that she's looking. L- notify her mom, I'm looking for my kids. George takes her to the, the, this lake where he drives her to this bridge. To, they search this lake area. And by they, I mean, he stays in the car and she gets out and she looks. So she searches. <laughs> she They so don't do nothing. He drove her. And so then he... Didn't find the girls. She gets back in. They go back to the apartment complex. They ride around the apartment complex. She gets out. She's looking. She doesn't find them. Goes to the park. She looks at the park. Doesn't find them. And then he brings her back to the apartment complex where he says, all right, Tracy, call me and let me know what happens. And he leaves and goes home. Hmm. Tracy, at this point, doesn't call the police. She calls her family and neighbors and rallies them and says let's start looking for the girls she 
states to the police later that part of the reason she didn't do this, didn't call the police at this time, is because she was scared that she would get the other two girls taken, that CPS would take the other two girls. Because, again, she left a 10-year-old and a 3-year-old at home without without adult supervision. And, she, and the fact that now they turned up missing, she's hoping she can just find them and the police will never know and everything will be fine. Right. I mean, and to be... That rationale, like, it makes sense, right? Like, you're just hoping for the best that you find these kids. But the the, the really bad thing about that thinking <laughs> is that eight hours went by. And if somebody abducted these girls, then now the perpetrator has an eight-hour lead from when investigators get involved. And just as a an addition to that viewpoint or that frame of mind that Tracy had. Part of the reason she had that frame of mind was because months earlier or maybe, a, you know, not long before this occurred, her sister had her kids taken or the CPS was involved in, in, in possibly trying to, to take her children for neglect. And so she was very, I think that was on the forefront of her brain. Yeah, it was. And Rita and Victoria have commented that their mother would often leave them at home so much and so that a lot of the family members, especially Tracy's mother, was concerned. Like, you're leaving these kids at home way too much. Bring them over here. There is a possibility that you, you could have these kids taken from you. Absolutely. So this was, you know, as you... Here are some of these facts. You start to get a fuller picture of what's actually going on in this case. So investigators are finally called because someone in the family, as they were searching and trying to find these girls, but they were unable to, they said, to hell with this. And this is a quote. To hell with this, I'm calling the police. And thank God that they did because Tracy didn't initiate that phone call. And no one else did. And I think it takes those brave people to just say, you know what, There's a, this, is, this is serious. We can't find the girls. And this is we the right help. thing to do. Absolutely. This is the right thing to do. Involve the police. If that means I go to jail, if that means that now I've got to fight for my other two kids, so be it. But I want my other two kids to be found. Yes. Yeah, so police are involved. And I want you to know this was the largest search party in Chicago history. Chicago PD searched air, the water. <laughs> they had dogs out. They had everybody out. The community was out looking for these children. And so I just want to commend Chicago PD because we know from doing multiple stories on Murder in the Black and from you just being a true crime you know, fan that you are, you know that when it comes to black kids missing specifically black girls we don't get that that type of press that media that support that rally and so kudos to chicago pd yeah they you know they they searched everywhere they could they checked the railroad tracks um as i mentioned they had air water in and and everywhere pretty much south side of south side of chicago covered because this is where this took place now 
as investigators walk into the home, they see that the house is just in normal disarray, right? It doesn't look like it's been ransacked. And we often say here, they, they're looking for signs where they're trying to see if some, did somebody rob, you know, was this forced entry? They found no forced entry at all. And George and Tracy were the people that they absolutely needed to talk to because according to Tracy, they were the only two people that knew the girls were at home by themselves so they have to see if anybody else knew they are pleading with them for answers and Tracy is obviously distraught understandably afraid but she is also very defensive and all the time that the investigators are asking her questions she's really not giving up a whole lot you know she's just very hesitant to say uh, what happened she repeated what MD said earlier uh, in the case that she told the kids hey don't leave don't open the door for anybody I'll be home soon um and investigators start to look around the apartment and, and they are like processing this camping story but they don't see any camping you know no sleeping bags nothing that would suggest that on her way on, on her way back home from work that they were going to leave and go to this camping so you know they tuck that underneath their hat and they're like okay so they go to the elementary school um, which was the, the last name of the elementary school was Doolittle. And they go and check because Tianda was actually in summer school there. She was attending summer school. So they were trying to figure out, okay, well, let's go talk to the administrators because school, you know, was back in session, right? The 4th of July had passed and went and, you know, but she didn't attend school on July 6th. But MD, you heard some conflicting evidence that I didn't see, but... What was that about? So not only did she not attend school on July the 6th, but one investigator wanted to dis determine, well, did she attend school on July the 5th? Right, because she would have, right? She would have, and she didn't. She didn't attend school on July the 5th. So, and it wasn't, it was very abnormal. It was for her to, she was in school because a fact that I found out is that Tianda struggled with reading. She and that's why she was in summer school. She had, you know, just a reading disability, a reading disability. Right. And so she was in school for that. And so when she she didn't miss. And so the fact that she missed on the fifth and then turned around and missed on the sixth and she didn't. Tracy did not report that she was going to be missing or that she was going to be absent. OK, well, I also had a source say, and I don't know if this is true because, you know, I just wasn't able to va verify if it's true or not, but that she did show up to school on the 6th. So she attempted to show up to school on the 6th, which would corroborate this note. Okay. But they did not allow her to come in because she was trying to sneak Diamond in. Oh. Because although she's supposed to be at school, Diamond cannot be there. Right. Now, whether that's true or not, what we know is that she did not go to school on the 6th. Right. So the police are really just trying to dig deeper, find out what's going on. And so what they do is they take this note that Tianda wrote and they got the FBI involved. They said, hey, we got to We can an analyze this handwriting. And according to friends and family, even Tracy, the note was well written. It wasn't similar to anything she ever wrote i mean she used right grammar put commas in the right place spell words correctly something that md just said she had a 
reading disability and so she would I mean and she was like you know in fourth grade so she was <laughs> spell words wrong so it just didn't jive right with investigators so they say well let's take this and go get that analyzed but we're back in 2001 let's humble ourselves that's not gonna come back very quickly so they take that and you know investigators are just looking they're searching but on July 7th Tracy's sister her name is Faith they were all in Tracy's apartment you know just all rallied around there and you know talking with one another trying to you know see how they can get more involved in the search party and Tracy had just got a new cell phone and her sister Tracy went and talked to investigators in another room she wasn't in the room but she left her cell phone behind and so her sister Faith because she had just programmed these voicemails. Y'all remember when we had, used to have to program? <laughs> Lord have mercy. Used to have to program the voicemails. And so her sister had just programmed the voicemails. So she decided, she said, okay, I'm just going to check her messages. She has random messages. Let me just check. Like, right. Like, let me let me see, see if there's any messages. Maybe she didn't think of this. So right. let me check. So her sister recounts that either at 8.02 or 8.20 a.m., there was a message left on July 6th from Tianda. Now, all of the family that was inside of this apartment at the time substantiates hearing this voicemail. This voicemail is going to come up several times. The voicemail said, Mommy, George is at the door. He wants me to go to Jules' store to pick up Victoria's cake. Can I go pick up the phone? So immediately, you know, the, the family is like, George. Now, this is where we have to get into the nuances. There was George Washington, who was Tracy's husband. I mean, Tracy's boyfriend. Yeah, not husband. Ooh, she wanted him to be. She did, though. Tracy's, Tracy's boyfriend. And then there was George, who was a family friend. Yeah, but he was also a neighbor. He was, he was George Senor. George Senor. And he, yeah. was a, he was a family friend, a close family friend for years. And he lived nearby. So and the, he would often watch the girls sometimes. He was a babysitter also. For right. Them. Close family friend, neighbor, babysitter. He, was, he wore multiple hats for their family. And according to Rita and, Rita and Victoria... They only knew George Senor as Porgy. That was who they knew him as. They never, 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 never called him George. And the way they recounted this, <laughs> it's, it's, they're young, right? And so I think, you know, their memory is sharper. But I also know that as a young person, you, when somebody tells you this is so-and-so name, you know, and you raised by old school people, well, you're going to call them that. Right. You're not, and you might know them, their name, what their real name is. But I would never call my granny Betty. Never. I'm going to call granny granny. Right. And or I'm going to call Porgy, Por I'm going to call George Porgy if that's what mom told me to call him. Right. And that's what I've always known him as. So, confronted with this evidence, the police then go and pay George Senor a visit because they're trying to see, okay, did you, did they call you? And George is like, no, they didn't come by here. I have not seen them all day. And Tracy even substantiated that she had called George earlier 
And he said no. He hadn't seen them either. Now, Steph, I want to I want you to pause for a second because you said confronted with this evidence. Did the police actually hear this voicemail? Oh, I'm sorry. No, they didn't. Tracy is the one who said that she spoke with George, senor, and not the police. Because this is why I said at the beginning, this voicemail was only heard by the family. And according to Faith and other family members, this voicemail was deleted it got in the wrong hands or somebody accidentally deleted it we don't know what happened to the voicemail but the voicemail is gone but it has been heard by rita victoria tracy faith who was tracy's sister and sheila who is tracy's great aunt so all of these people say yes we heard the voicemail but you know it's gone no Sheila, officials. Sheila, no. What did Sheila do, Steph? According to Sheila, Sheila said that she grabbed her phone while this voicemail was playing, like as insurance, and recorded this voicemail, sent the voicemail to her email account for safekeeping. Good. And so we'll put that in our hat yeah. for later. So that's that's for later. So that's kind of that's I, I have to mention that voicemail because I think it's important because it kind of puts you in the place of, OK, maybe there is something to her going to this store. Right. Right. It, it, and maybe this corroborates what this note is saying. Maybe she really did go to the store. Maybe she really did write this letter. Even if somebody helped her write it, maybe she wrote it. Right. So. The investigation continues, and unfortunately, months go by, and nobody can find the girls. And you know this happened July 2001, and by September of 2001, while Chicago PD were invested in finding these girls, there was a shift in our nation, right? We have been attacked on our soil. And now a lot of that media coverage that this story was getting while the investigation was still ongoing, it was now, you know, the media coverage was now diminished because of 9-11. But investigators are still trying to figure out, okay, we got to talk to George. We have to talk to George Washington, which I hate that this man's name is George Washington, right, by the it, way. I, I literally was like, is this a real name? But it is. It's a real oh, name. Oh, gosh. So they go and they, well, actually, George Washington comes in and sees them, voluntarily comes in. And he tells them that, you know, yes, he knew that the girls were at the, the place, at the apartment, but he had, he never went and paid them a visit. You know, because although investigators never heard the voicemail, they got the residuals of the voice. Right. They heard right? that the voicemail existed. Right. And they, what the voicemail said. Right. And so he said he never, you know, um, went back over the let the last time he went was to take tracy home and you know they kind of just wanted to get a search warrant on his place because they have to they have to be thorough right and so because it was only him and tracy who knew that the girls were there no forced entry the girls went with someone they're starting to kind of get this fbi profile that we were talking about more than likely the girls knew their abductor i mean it just one plus one is equaling two. 
So they have to take a really close look at George. And so they get a search warrant for George's home. And I want to pause because in order to have a search warrant, you have to have probable cause. So you can't just be like, oh, we're investigating you. You seem interesting, so we're going to get a search search warrant. So they have to have probable cause to get this search warrant. So I want to share with you what the probable cause was. Part of the reason why they were able to conclude that at this point, months later, that it was probably somebody that they knew is because the handwriting analysis did come back and they were able to prove that it was, in fact, Tianda's handwriting. So that means that either Tianda just became brilliant overnight and was able to write grammatically correct sentences with no misspelled words, or somebody helped her write it. And and because they were also able to determine that she did not write this under stress. So amazingly, they can not only analyze to see, is it your handwriting, but they can also analyze, did you write this note under duress, stress, or, you know, what whatever? So she didn't. So more likely than not, this is somebody that she knew. Well, now we've got to narrow it down. Who, who are the likely suspects? And so they begin to go and talk to George's neighbors. And George's neighbors say that there were some things that they saw that George was doing on the day of the girl's disappearance. That he was burning something in a barrel in his garage. And so based on all of, and, and they were, they were also able to determine that George went to the store on the day that the girls went missing and purchased some trash bags and he purchased some gloves. And so based on that, they were able to take that, use that as probable cause to get the, the search warrant of his house and of his vehicle. Yeah, so they got that search warrant and they found the receipts that he actually purchased industrial size garbage bags. They found that five of those bags were missing off of the roll. He claimed that he got these things because he was doing a home rental project. That's kind of what he did. Um, he also purchased two pair of gloves and they could not find one pair of gloves. He claimed that he didn't burn anything any pieces of trash or anything in his garage but when they looked at the ceiling of his garage there actually was um they like charring <laughs> they could tell there was charring on the ceiling of the garage so that didn't really add up they asked him where did he dispose of these home reno projects and he told them exactly where that he went to a lake, a nearby lake. And we don't know that this is the same lake that Tracy went looking for the girls at, but it was a nearby lake. He took the trash bags out there. And when investigators arrived there, the trash bags were already at the dump site. But for whatever the reasons were, investigators decided to not go to that dump site to look to see what could possibly have been in those bags. So that was pretty much a lost cause. George then says, you know, I had nothing to do with this. They did search his vehicle and they found hairs in his vehicle. And these hairs weren't tested, but they were collected. So they take him back down to the station and they do a polygraph. And we all know that polygraphs are not credible in court, but, you know, 
investigators still do it <laughs> but you can't hang your hat on a polygraph <laughs> that's the point one of the investigators said and i think it's important to just like this is just like a trademark to me he has seen people who were guilty pass polygraph tests and he has he has seen people who are innocent fail polygraph tests <laughs> but whatever way you look at it he passed it both he and tracy passed their polygraph tests so they had nothing to charge him on. And based on everything that Tracy said, you know, that happened over the day's event, they did not charge her with negligence or anything of the, of the sort either. So they cleared both of them as suspects, at least for that time. There's an incident that happened that I think is important to highlight. She, um, Tracy was being you know, constantly called into the police department, which rightfully so. They need to talk to her. They need to get as much information out of her. And I said recently on a case that I did on our subscription, um, our paid subscription profile, I mentioned that sometimes investigators have to talk back to the people they've interviewed because when a traumatic event has happened, you forget details. You just, you just do. That's your mind's defense for you to help you hold it together. And they had to re-interview Tracy a lot. But Tracy just got very defensive. And she didn't want, you know, police to, you know, ask her any questions. She felt very ganged up upon. And a part of me understands that. Right. A little bit. Here it is. You leave your kids at home. You feel guilty enough for doing that. They're missing, you know, and now everybody's looking at you like you're the bad guy. Well, if the goal is to get your kids back, we have to ask ourselves tough questions like what are you willing to do? Well, answer the questions so that they can get the answers. But this relationship became very contentious. There was one part of the investigation where they went to Jules Grocery Store. It's a grocery store that still exists in Chicago on the south side of Chicago. I don't know if it's a chain or what, but it still exists. And the police went there because they knew that Tianda was saying that's where she was going. According to some of the articles we read, that is where... Tracy and George went to go pick up this said cake. So they went there and they actually were able to pull footage of what they saw and believed to be Tianda and Diamond. They asked Tracy to come down to the to, to the police department so that they can show her the footage. And she refused to look at the footage, claiming that those weren't her girls. There was another incident where police officers caught up with her at the school that she was dropping off Rita and Victoria at. And they approached her and said, hey, we need you to come down. We need new. We have some new leads. We want to discuss it with you. And she refused and pushed the police officer. She ended up getting put in handcuffs and taken down to the station anyway, where one of the sergeants ended up letting her go. But it was a lot of situations like that where Tracy just was very reluctant to help investigators solve or get information just so that they could 
know everything so that they could help help her find her kids, which was the goal for everybody. After having much debate, she ended up watching this footage, and it just so happened that it was a coincidence. It actually wasn't Tianda and Diamond. But, you know, why go through all of that rigmarole when you could have just did it the first time? So investigators are now at a standstill. The case is starting to go cold. We have now progressed to September 9-11. It's a fiasco. And the community is left empty. They don't know if somebody's stealing kids. They don't know what happened. And now we're at a standstill. All right, so we've kind of ran through the difficulties of the investigation. We talked about how they investigated George, but what we haven't really touched on is George's motives. There was a lot of motive, and just because there's motive, to be fair, doesn't mean you murder someone, but it does kind of provide the basis or the foundation of why you possibly could have, right? So MD told us earlier about the messiness of it all, of George Washington and Tracy Bradley's history. They got together around 95, and ever since then, it was very, very messy. George was married, and it really gave off the energy that Tracy was kind of the side chick. I don't know. Nobody said that, but if you're married, I guess you are. Just going to throw that out there. If you're married, you're the side chick. And so... We kind of touched on the fact that George never really interacted with the kids, even his own kid, or to believe his own kid, which was Diamond. So while they were dating and while the kids were not missing, actually right before, Tracy sued George for paternity and like back child support. Right. So George was like, all right, cool, take me to court because this ain't my baby. Well, three weeks after the girls disappeared, they did a DNA test. Well, the DNA test was already processed. It was already processing because they were, you know, the results came back. It was already processed because they did this before. She did this shortly before the girls went missing. They processed it three weeks later. And it was confirmed that that George was the father. You are the pappy. You are, sir. But to this day, to this day, he says that Diamond was not his child. I am not the pappy. No. So that would put him in a financial bind, right? Because the fact that it was confirmed that he was the child's father, and up until that point, he hadn't paid any child support, that stuff adds up. It does. So that also would, you know, put him in a position where he would have to pay and have to show up as a parent, you know, regular stuff like that. And he just didn't want to do deal with it. So that was a motive. Another inconsistency about this whole camping story is that nobody could confirm that they purchased any camping products. Or tools or things that they would need that was very sketchy. But what was really sketchy is that why would you need to pick up a birthday cake for Victoria's birthday if you were not going to be there? Or even more, why would you go on a camping trip with 
out Victoria when her birthday was gonna happen while you were away. Like, I think that's what I'm really confused about because although you can maybe make sense, even though I think it's strange, although you can possibly have an argument as to why you want to split it up and take two different kids. Because let's be clear, like, they were going on a camping trip, I believe, in Indiana. It was, mm-hmm. It's a couple hours away. So in my mind, when I'm mathing all of the things, it seems like it would be more expensive to take two trips, right? You got double the gas, double the camping fee, double, double the food, you know, versus, hey, we're going to go all at once. But even if you can make that make sense for me, what I don't understand is why you wouldn't have Victoria and Rita go first and then Tianda and Diamond because it's Victoria's birthday. At least have Victoria go. Yeah, a lot of things, like inconsistencies, things that just don't make sense. I'm sure there's a story that you could tell someone to make that make sense, but not I. Just saying. So, you know, they're trying to figure it out. And according to Tracy, she said that George was very territorial. Like, if you leave me, I'll kill you. And so, at least to Tracy's family... And, you know, investigators really go on facts. They couldn't put enough things together to make him the suspect. They ruled him out. But to Tracy and Tracy's family, they felt that because he was making these threats, because he didn't want to claim Diamond, and they believed that he actually killed Diamond and Tianda saw it. And he had to kill her, too. All for monetary reasons. Right. I don't want to pay child support. I don't want you to be my child. I don't want you to, to, to it to be proven that you're my child. And even if it is proven, then if you're not here, then I still don't have to pay for you. And so that's what, that's a theory of why and the motive behind why he George could have done it. Right. And when the family heard about the trash bags, the burning... You know, it just didn't. The voicemail. The voicemail. All of these things just did not jive together. So a couple of months, I want to say maybe even a year after the girls had been missing, an investigator, his name is Hall. His last name is Hall. He revisited the case file. And thankfully, in this case, they didn't throw it out. Amen. So he revisited the case file and started at the beginning and noticed that there were some hairs that they collected from George's car. But those hairs were never tested. So he gets excited. He's like, okay, bet. I'm about to send these off for DNA analysis. We're about to find out who these, these hairs belong to. And while he's sitting in the DA's office, like perfect timing, he's sitting in the DA's office. He gets a phone call from the DNA lab and they let him know that the hairs were either Tianda's or Diamond's. It belonged, well, the multiple hairs could have belonged to either one of them or both of them. So he's like, oh, we got what we need. Let's go arrest this man right now. But you got to go according to the law. And that just wasn't a silver bullet for the DA. And do you want to expound upon that? Well, it was Trace hairs. So... It wasn't enough hairs to be able to substantially say without a shadow of a doubt that they were in the trunk of the car. So, 
you're like, well, how how else would the hairs get there? Well, the hairs could have gotten there, but if if the girls rode in the car and possibly George could have picked up the hairs on his shirt and when he opened the trunk of the car, those hairs could then fall into the trunk. You see, are you following me? There could be multiple ways in which these, this small amount of hair could have been found in the trunk. Right, or like the girls have their backpack on. They have their One backpack. One of their hairs pulled and they put their the backpacks in, in the trunk. Right. And so, now this is where where it just sucks, quite honestly. Because this wasn't discovered until a year ago, going now to investigate the car or to do further analysis of the car, like maybe a more detailed analysis of the car, is not even possible. Or right. like, I mean, it's possible, but you're probably highly likely not going to find anything at this point. Uh, you know, he's probably vacuumed it. He may not even own the car anymore. I mean, you know, it's so many things that, could have happened and so it really sucks that these hairs weren't tested for over a year because had they been tested in real time they could have gone back to that car and done a more detailed analysis and maybe they would have found some additional hairs or maybe they would have you know uncovered some more things that would have been enough to say okay we can bring this in in a court of law and say without a shadow of a doubt that we can place these girls in this car, in this trunk, at this time. And Sheila Bradley, who is Tracy Bradley's aunt, the girl's great aunt, said that she went to George Washington and asked him, how did the girl's hair get into your trunk? His explanation was, is that they were going out to see a drive through movie, and he also told police this as well because they questioned him. They were going to see a drive through movie, and they didn't want to pay the fee for the girls to get into the movie. So they snuck them in by putting them in the trunk. Now, this is where this story, for me at least, falls apart. Because both Rita and Victoria said that George never took them anywhere. George didn't, he was never around. Like, they don't even remember going to a restaurant with George, doing anything with George, when Tracy was asked, she said no. She doesn't remember any going through a drive-through with them. And Detective Hall actually went back to see what drive-throughs were open in 2001. He said he found none, zero. I I think that to me that rings more credible than anything. Yes, absolutely. The yeah. fact that the girls are like, we never. We never went to the movie with him. Okay. The fact that Tracy's saying, no, I, I don't recall ever doing anything like that. Okay. That's like, okay, that's looking real suspect. But for there to be zero drive-in movie theaters in a certain mile radius, what are you referring to, sir? So you just made this story up. Right. And because it was Trace DNA, as we've covered, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for them to charge him with anything. But now it really gives more credence to the family feeling like you had motive. You had these trash bags in the trunk. You know, what What are you doing? So, Steph, it's really looking like George Washington is our culprit. But... It's possible that Tracy is a little suspect too. I mean, she's looking real shabby. She's looking me. real shady too. And 
we are going to share with you exactly why Tracy is shady and looks a little suspect herself next week. All right, MIB fam, you know you're going to have to come back for part two. So you can find out what happens in this very, very interesting case. But I lied. I do have a little bit of an announcement because we always talk about the poll questions and the interactions because we love it. So I want to go ahead and talk about last week's episode and see what you guys said. Even though I already know. Y'all can know what you said. <laughs> or what everybody else said. So last week we did the freeway phantom murders. And I asked you guys just a very simple question. What did you think about that episode? Stephanie Renee said, it amazes me how evidence on some murder cases, evidence gets lost or tossed away. There isn't a limitation when it comes to murder. You would think they would preserve evidence better. Agree, Steph. One thousand percent agree. They dropped the ball. They definitely did. Nick Anderson said, "Not Steph using MD real name." She did. She just straight up exposed me. But it's cool. I want you guys to go follow me. So yeah, use my name. I mean, I just sometimes it just slips, you know. But you know, we ain't too Hollywood to use the the chosen names that, right. that our and, parents. And honestly, okay. I don't use it not because I'm trying to keep it from you. I don't use it because it is harder for people to say, and so it's just easier to say MD. But there you go. Now you guys know. All right. Miss Pavy said, OMG. Y'all shouted me out from IG comment. From her IG comment. She said, thank you. You guys are great. Keep up the great work. This story was heart-wrenching. And Miss Pavy was the one who talked about Murfreesboro. Oh, we. I'm never going to get it right. So thanks, girl. You know we always going to shout y'all out. We love y'all. Another person said, Nee said, I have seen articles and podcasts about this, but I never looked and listened into it. And I am from, I am from DC. Wow. She was like, sad. I'm so oblivious to this case. Girl, it happens. It happens. I was really surprised that I didn't know about this case either. So, you know. We can't know all true crime stuff, girl. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just can't. <laughs> and, and and then, t- in your defense, our stories go untold, oftentimes. So, now you know. Share, like, all the things. Uh, most of you did not know about this case. Over 56% of you said you had no idea about this case. So, we were just so glad that we were able to cover it, get the conversation started, like, share, if you care. And make sure you come back next week because we have to drop part too and it will blow your socks off until next time friends this is murder in the black bye